All right, so uh, we finished Roots last week, Genesis 1 through 11. Uh, Advent starts on the 28th, Sunday after Thanksgiving. That means uh, we got two Sundays in between where uh, we get to do some uh, more top messages. So this morning, um, I will, uh, you know, it's one of those messages that uh, I, I get to step on toes, so it's going to be fun. Um, but understand that uh, I, uh, you know, God steps on my toes first uh, before I step on your toes. Um, so in other words, this is a message for me as well. And uh, so we can praise the Lord for that, that uh, this is not me standing on my uh, high tower, looking down at all you and telling you what to do. No, this is um, something that uh, I, I'm down with you and hearing this message from the Lord as well. Uh, so uh, basketball is a great sport. We uh, are in the middle of a basketball season now. Uh, I have given up watching the NBA. I just uh, can't stand it anymore. Um, but, and maybe you love it, and I'm sorry if you do. I just, uh, you know, I'm opinionated, and that's, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's why I'm a pastor. Uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> But uh, I do like to watch college basketball on occasion. I don't get to watch that too often, but I do, I do like watching it. And because I'm, a, I'm from Washington State, uh, you know, I, uh, I love cheering on uh, Gonzaga Bulldogs, right? I mean, number one. Woo! Sweet. Uh, I never went to that school. Didn't really like Spokane, but Gonzaga, yeah, Washington State. Uh, anyway, so uh, it's good. Uh, it's good. So, but basketball is interesting. I played. You know, I've told you guys before. I played that when I was younger. It was my favorite sport when I was younger, and uh, and then haven't played it as much since uh, since then. But uh, it's a, a sport like many sports that requires a lot of focus. Like uh, you know, uh, shooting a basket is you know anybody can do that. Making a basket, that requires actually skill, right? Um, so, uh, you know, you really have to focus when you're shooting. And, and oftentimes, you know, it's a lot of, you know, there's, there's certain ways to do it. Different guys do it different, differently. But there is a technique that you can learn. And so part of it is learning the technique. But no matter what your technique, uh, you have to also have the ability to focus on the rim when you're shooting, right? I mean, that's a big part of being able to make it. You got to know what you're shooting at, right? Uh, you know, Mike talks about golf. Golf, you don't look at what you're shooting at usually. You look at the ball because if you look over there, you're probably not going to hit the ball. And so, I mean, somebody, maybe somebody could do it, but that's not, it's, you know, you look at the ball here because that's where you want the club to hit, right? So you're trying to hit that ball. Same with shooting. You want to hit that rim. So you look at the front of the rim. You want to hit that right, right over the top of that rim. And so focus is really important. Now in practice, you know, oftentimes that can be pretty easy, right? You know, I, as a coach, when I was coaching basketball, at the end of our practice, we would have everybody shoot free throws. And that was kind of the end of the end. They would just shoot free throws. And, you know, every one they missed meant they had to do a, a set of lines, right? So motivation. But also, you know, you, but it, the, the key is focal, you know, focusing on that rim. But also, the, there's nobody around you. Like, you're just standing there by yourself. You're shooting. And it's, you know, you just got to focus. So some of us can get really good at shooting free throws and think, you know, oh my gosh, I'm a great shooter. But where it really comes down to determine whether you're a good shooter or not is in the game, 
right? Because in the game, all of a sudden, you've got people that are trying actually actively to cause you to not be able to focus on the rim. They're doing everything they can to get in your face. Even when you shoot a free throw, especially if you're in a hostile environment, you know, they're, they're, the fans behind the basket are all like waving and yelling and stuff, and they're trying to distract you. And so in the game, being able to make a shot, it's the ones who are able to focus the best that are oftentimes the best shooters and the best players in the game. Folks, we as Christians, we are in the game. For many years as Americans, American Christians, we've kind of just been practicing. It's been pretty easy to focus on Jesus. We just kind of go through our day-to-day kind of thing. You know, we get up and we read the Bible, we do our thing, whatever. And, ah, we missed the Bible, that's all right. You know, I mean, we're still pretty righteous, you know, because we learn these things, right, in school. I mean, some of us grew up when we were praying still in schools, right? I mean, I, it's just pretty easy. And we learned how to focus. But now, we're in the game. How are we shooting? Are we good shooters? See, it was amazing as a coach and even as a player. You practice and you practice and you practice and you practice. And you can start to feel pretty good about yourself and your team. But it's not until you get in the game that you really know whether your team is good or bad, whether your focus is, is good or, or not. Church, We're in the game now. And so we need to fine-tune, hone our focus. Because the world is trying to distract us. They're trying to throw everything they can in our face to help us just get our eyes off of Jesus. They're trying to get us, look over here, look over here, look over here. You know, they're yelling at us. They're creating all kinds of this chaos. Every day it's different. They're attacking us. You know, I mean, you know, know, the the, the calls from the the crowd in a basketball game. (laughs) If you ever go to a basketball game, it's crazy what they call, right? I mean, you got people in the stands like telling, miss it, miss it, miss it. I mean, like, like actively rooting against you. This is what we're in. We've got that right now. People are actively rooting against the church and against you personally as a Christian. They do not want you to succeed. They do not want you to make the basket. They want you to fail. They want you to lose. They want you to give up. And so this morning, I want to spend some time looking at three different areas, focal points, if you will, where we need to keep our eyes in the middle of this game that we're playing. First, we need to focus on the spiritual, not the physical. Let's uh, go back and read the passage that you guys read at the beginning. We all read at the beginning of the service. In uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We are in the game, 
Okay, there is, it's a battle that we're fighting. It's a light and momentary affliction. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Where's your focus? Are you focusing on the spiritual things, or are you focusing on the temporal things, the the physical things of our world? We tend to focus on the physical. This is how we determine how things are going in our life, is what is happening in the tangible world around us. Do I feel pain? Things aren't going well. Ow, 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 I'm old, you know, ow, whatever, right? You know, it's, things aren't going well, right? You know, that's why getting old is a bad thing, right? Because you get older and you start, you know, kind of getting more sore and you can't do the things that you want or used to do. It's physical, right? Physically, from that perspective, age is tough. It's not a fun thing. But what about spiritually? How many of us, even at my age now, I'm like, I don't know that I'd want to go back to my 20-year-old self. Certainly not spiritually. So what are we focusing on? Are we focusing on the physical? Or are we focusing on the spiritual? The tangible always seems more real, but the spiritual is just as real. And it is often the spiritual that dictates or defines what is real about the physical. But if we can't see the spiritual, if we're not focused on the spiritual, we can get pretty depressed. When we focus on the physical, we see pain, we see death. In our world right now, we see great division and hatred. We see failure and we see despair. One of the great things that I've enjoyed for the last two and a half months now is not watching the national news, not reading the national news, because it is all focused on the physical in essence. And all the physical right now is really negative in our world. It just seems that way. At least that's what they want to report. I think there's more good going on that they just don't report. But if that's all we're looking at is just the physical realm, we're going to feel and sense that pain and death. And and we can get pretty depressed as a result. It can create in us hatred and frustration and anger and despair. But if we're looking into the spiritual we're looking into the face of Jesus, we can find love and life, peace and joy. We can actually find unity and opportunity. Those are things that are happening right now in the midst of a physical chaos that's going on around us spiritually. Spiritually, those things are happening. Do you see that? Do you primarily see pain and suffering or do you primarily see love and life and joy and opportunity? What do you see? If you are filled with fear and anger and despair, you're probably mostly focusing on the physical. If that's where you find yourself, if every morning you wake up and you're anxious and freaking out and like, oh, what's going to happen? You're probably just looking at the physical. Your focus is wrong. You're not going to make a shot if you keep looking at the physical. 
We need to get our eyes on the spiritual. And if you're looking at, if you're feeling and filled with things like peace and love and optimism, then you're probably focused on the spiritual. That's one of the things that the Lord has continued to bring to me over the last year and a half of this pandemic is optimism. He keeps telling me over and over again, tell the church and know yourself, but tell the church that I'm doing stuff. Things are happening. I'm building my kingdom. We must develop our ability to focus on the spiritual. Understand, this is not necessarily easy for us. As human beings, we're born physical. We have physical senses that allow us to interpret our world and understand what's happening physically, the tangible existence that we have. And that's how we grow up in that. And then it's only oftentimes in later in life that all of a sudden we bow our knee to Jesus and Lord and we get in touch with the spiritual. But in that moment, we also get spiritual senses. Are you developing those spiritual senses? Too many of us as Christians continue to engage in, our, in the Christian world through physical senses only. And we miss it. We don't understand what's going on. We don't understand when Jesus doesn't show up. We don't understand when we don't get blessed. Because, you know, to get blessed, I mean, I give my life to Jesus. That means I get blessed, right? I mean, that's what the scripture teaches. If you follow me, you'll get blessed, right? Well, if we're just looking at the physical, we're going to be disappointed oftentimes. But when we understand, wait a second, no, 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 there's a spiritual realm. So maybe I will get blessed physically, but that's not the only kind of blessing out there. Matter of fact, there's some greater blessings that we can experience in the spiritual. So we need to get in touch with our spiritual senses. Things like centering prayer. Sometime in your day, take 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes, half hour, and just sit in the presence of Jesus. Don't talk to him. Don't talk to anybody else. Don't have music on. If you need to walk, walk. That's fine. If you need to have some kind of physical motion, that's okay to help you focus. But just be in the presence of Jesus. Sit there. Walk there, wherever. Meditate on God's word. Don't just read it. You know, a Bible in a year is a great thing to get through and I kind of understand the whole scope of scripture. But if that's the only way you're reading scripture, you're missing out. If you really want to get in touch with the spiritual, meditate on his word and listen to what he says to you in it. Through it. Prayer of examine is another tool that we can use at the end of our day. When we lay down in our beds and we've had this long day and maybe we're tired, but just take a moment and say, okay, I'm going to take a moment, Lord. I want you to show me throughout the day where you have been active, what you've been doing in my life, in, through my day. And then you allow yourself to go back to when you got out of that bed in the morning and you begin to process through the day. And you just ask the Holy Spirit to speak. Tell me where you were. A prayer, a prayer of examine, if you start practicing that, you will all of a sudden go, wow, God's like all over the place. That's the point, right? We're getting in touch with the spiritual because tangibly we may not see him. Journaling. Another great way to write down the things that he's doing in your life. That's always been a struggle for me. I do it very, you know, sporadically, if you will. And, uh, and so, but so, that can be a great tool to write down the things that you feel like God's saying to you in prayer or through scripture or through the events of your life. What's going on? What is he doing? How is he prompting you? 
And then praise and worship, not just corporately, but individually. Do you ever praise and worship God by yourself? Ever spend time doing that? You want to get in touch with the spiritual, that is, that's an important piece, right? Worshiping God on your own. You know, the great thing about on your own is that no one has to listen to your voice. <laughs> Except for you. You just turn up, you know, the music really loud and you're, you know, and you just, you know, you get, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Christians, here's the, here's the reality. Christians and the church have naturally throughout history always gone towards pain and struggle, not away from it. There are too many Christians in America because they're focused on the physical that are trying to escape from it. They don't want anything to do with it. They're trying to run away from it. No, 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 no. Wait a second. You're a Christian. If you see with spiritual eyes, if you can see what's going on in the spiritual realm, you would not be running from that because you know that God is working in the midst of that pain and that struggle. And you, as a Christian, want to join him in that. I love this passage in Luke chapter 18. Excuse me, chapter 4. Verse 18. <clears throat> Jesus, in the synagogue, opens the scroll and says this, reads this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are pressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Christians go to pain, and struggling because we have the, the message that brings release and freedom. We have the message that saves. Jesus came to set the captives free. And as followers of Jesus, that's our mission too. The next point of focus is God's kingdom, not man's. God's kingdom, not man's. Again, the history of being a Christian nation, I think, has corrupted us in some sense. Our culture, for most of our existence, has accepted Christian morality. And so we didn't have to try to build faith in people. It was automatically there. But our culture has radically changed, and many Christians have not. Too many of us tie Christian success to American success. The mantra of we have to save America so that we can save the church. But the question we have to ask is where is our citizenship. Philippians chapter 3, familiar passage, I'm sure, to many of you, but let's read it because, you know, God's word cuts. 
Brothers, join in imitating me and keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their bellies, and their glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Where's your citizenship? Are you building man's kingdom or God's? What is our focus Certainly, we should be involved in the government that is America. It is a democracy. We have a right to vote. We should use it. We should certainly be aware, be good citizens of this world as well by being aware of what's happening and not just blindly kind of go through life uh, and just kind of not caring what's happening in the government. But we should, and some of us should also hold office even in this great land. But what is our higher priority? We need to stand for truth, but what truth are we standing on? Political opinion or biblical revelation? Certainly the truth of the cross can be offensive, but are people offended because of the cross or because of our political stance? We should never give in or soften the truth of God's word. But when it comes to opinions, we need to be really, really careful. It is amazing right now, at the same time that America is stumbling, the church is strengthening. But how many of us as Christians are excited that the church is strengthening? Are we excited or are we stuck going, wait a second, America's falling apart. What's going to happen if America falls apart? What happens if it just totally collapses? What if we go into communism? What if we do this or what do we do that? You know, is that where we're freaking out or are we going, wait a second, the kingdom of God is advancing. Do we see it? And are we helping it or are we hurting it? Are we working for spiritual converts or political ones? Do we see the person who is desperate for Jesus? Or are we too concerned with fixing America? You see, God has called, God has not called us as Christians to save America. He's called us to reach out to that person that's sitting across from us and tell them about Jesus. It's amazing. God's kingdom always seems to grow in times of persecution and trial. 
Matthew 5, 10, 11, the Beatitudes even says, blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the persecuted. God steps in in the times of persecution and trial, and he empowers his church. It's in times of struggle that people recognize, wait a second, my view of the world is not working anymore. Everything is falling apart, and so they're desperate, and they're looking. Do we see them? Are you filled with anxiety about the loss of America? Or are you excited about the possibilities of growth in the kingdom of God? Where are you at? Where are we at? Those who are focused on the kingdom of God are the ones who are going to be most successful in this game. The ones who are going to enjoy Jesus the most. It's amazing what God is doing right now, but can we see it? Finally, the third point, focal point, is the personal, not corporate. And I don't know if I really like this, uh, these two words necessarily, but we'll kind of get into it and flesh it. I couldn't figure out a different way to kind of say this. So we're going to go with personal, not corporate. So let me start with this. Uh, do you expect everyone to agree with you or accept diversity? Diversity of thought. Do you expect everyone to agree with you or accept diversity? Can you worship alongside people with different convictions? Or is your perspective always the most true? Calvinists versus Arminian. Liturgical versus charismatic. Pre-mill versus post-mill. Just a few. Of the diversity of thought that is in the Christian world. Can you worship with those who have a different perspective than you? Or is your perspective always the most true? The reality is, is God's will is both corporate and personal. Much of what we get in God's word is universal for all Christians to live and abide by. Jesus is the only way. I will not worship to some, next to someone who doesn't believe that. But if they believe that Jesus is the only way, then there's a lot of freedom in other things. But Jesus is the only way to the kingdom of heaven. We all must believe it. It's black and white. There's no, there's no division in that. You can't have a variety of perspectives. Oh, I think Buddha makes, can make it as well. Or I think, you know, what? no, it's, it's, it's Jesus and only Jesus. The Great Commission, all of us have been called to share the love of Jesus with other people. Whether you're an evangelist or not, whether you're a missionary or not, we all have this calling. Matthew 28, the Great Commission to share the love of Jesus. First uh, Corinthians as well talks about this, or as it, maybe it's Second Corinthians, talks about this reality that with the comfort that we have received, we pass that on to others. So we are all supposed to be Great Commission-minded people. 
If you are not a great commission-minded person, then we might struggle to worship next to each other. But if you are, and you believe Jesus is the only way, we're good. How about giving? Yeah, we're all told to give to the Lord. We're all meant to give the Lord our money and be able to like recognize and our value and our talent and our strengths. All these things we surrender back to the Lord. Romans 12, 1, like I am a living sacrifice. That includes all of me, not just part of me. And so we live this life for Christ. But there are many things that apply personally only. Jesus is the only way, but there's a whole lot of different ways that people found Jesus. Our testimonies testimonies can be very, very different. We don't all have to have the same testimony. Matter of fact, if we do, then there's probably something wrong there. We all, there's a variety of ways to come to Jesus, but there's only one Jesus. There's a variety of ways to be evangelists. We don't have to go on the mission field. We don't have to go door to door. We don't have to stand on the street corner. We don't have to hand out tracts. There's a whole lot of different ways that we can share the love of Jesus. Subtle ways, ways that are, you know, other people couldn't do, right? Because we're all different in our gifting. There's a variety of ways to do that. There's a, also a variety of ways how much to give. How much of our talent do we give back to the Lord? How much of our gifts, uh, of our, our, our wealth do we give back? How much of our life do we give back? We want to give it all, but to what extent and to where and how that, what that looks like? Is it just to the church or is it to a lot of different things? Again, a lot of variety. But here is a challenging statement. Even sin can be different for each person. We all have the same Ten Commandments. Let's be clear. Love God and love others. But there's also a lot of different things. For instance, drinking alcohol. For some is a sin. For, the, for others, they have freedom. Entertainment. What you watch. I have a friend of mine who uh, she, it is a sin for her to watch anything over PG rating. And, and that's something that she feels like God told her. I mean, this is like, you don't watch anything. And so she doesn't. Now, for most of us, you know, that's not a problem, right? We watch PG-13 or you know, whatever, right? So there's different even sins that can be personal, not necessarily universal. But there's too many of us who demand that our personal convictions are actually meant to be universal convictions. For instance, in our world today, those with a conservative political leaning demand that medical freedom or no obedience is God's will. At the same time, those with a liberal, liberal political perspective demand that vaccine mandates or no job is God's will. The question is, is it universal or is it personal? Can you worship next to a no mandate person, medical freedom person? Can you worship next to a mandate, vaccine mandate person? Can you? Can you? 
So I get this teaching from a great chapter. I, I love Paul. Have I ever told you that I love Paul? I also love Romans. Someday I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach through Romans. It's such a great book. Romans 14. I might read the whole thing, whole chapter. We'll see. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For we live, for if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. There are universal truths. There are universal realities that we have to accept. But there's also these personal realities and even personal sins that we need to recognize are not universal. We, because God has spoken to me personally, I better live according to what God convicts me of. But I also have to allow the person next to me to be free to live according to the convictions they have been given by God. We cannot universalize or glorify our own perspectives. There's too much of that in our world today because people have their eyes on the wrong things. The perspectives that we get from Romans chapter 14 says, first of all, that we should be convinced in our own hearts. We are responsible to be obedient to his personal call to us. If he calls you to go and stand in a picket line, then you better go stand in that picket line. Matter of fact, for you not to stand in that picket line would be a sin. But... If he calls you to not stand in that picket line, then you better not go. Because here's the next thing. 
Don't cause another to stumble. And this is where I, I see this happening. Where, begin, we, we've glorified our own personal convictions to make them universal convictions. And so now in our conversations with our brothers and sisters in Christ, the concern is trying to convince them that they are wrong and we are right. And that they need to come and stand up with us on the picket line. Because if they don't, they don't really love Jesus. And we are causing our brother to stumble. Because they are not doing it out of a conviction that comes from Jesus. And it happens both ways. The non-picketing member is trying to convince the picketer to stop and to get off of the line. We don't pressure others to violate their conscience. That's what it means to not cause your brother to stumble. We don't demean also their convictions. And we don't flaunt our own. We respect each other. Recognizing these are volatile times. And God needs people in Christian people in all of these different realms. And we don't judge God's children. I, I love this chapter in the sense that, you know, we, we, are, we are called other, in other places, Paul calls us to judge. But what we judge is we judge the universal truths. That's what we judge, black and white stuff. As a church, you know, if we're going to allow sin, chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, like, what are you doing? You've got this, you know, a guy who's, you know, sleeping with his mother or mother-in-law or whatever it is. It's just crazy stuff going on. What are you doing with that in the church? Just get that out of there. Judge that person. I've judged them already, he says. Black and white stuff is what we judge others on in the church. But the gray stuff, that's not where we judge. Here Paul is saying, no, 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 wait a second. They are, they are, each of us, all of us, are responsible to God for those personal convictions. Let that person stand before God. And if they've missed it and they've not obeyed God, then they will have to deal with God in that. Your job is just to make sure that you're doing what I've called you to. We must be very careful about extrapolating out our truth. This is what happens so often in these times is we, 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 we want to respond to the political realities of our world, and it's good for us to do that, and we need to. But we go back and we find our, our kind of theological perspective and then we start extrapolating in order to get to a point where it says I should go and stand and against mandates however we're so far away from the original truth do we really have a leg to stand on we better be really careful but yet what we do is our extrapolations we glorify and so everybody has to be here and we can show them why because step back here back here back here back here and here it's based on this truth see God he created see so that's here that's why Okay, you know, but we can't do that. We need to recognize that no extrapolations. That's okay to extrapolate a bit, but it's up to personal conviction. Not can't universalize those things. All right, last, uh, last. Uh, uh, I can do it. First, I want to read. So good, John. Uh, John. Uh, again, this is just a great story. Uh, worship team, why don't you come up to her? Yeah, we're landing. We're landing. We're coming down. <laughs> Buckle up. All right. Uh, John 21, verse 
20 and 20 to 22 now. Okay, so this is at the end of the last part of John, okay? And so we've got Peter hanging out with Jesus, right? It's after he, you know, you know, messed everything up and he denied Jesus and everything. And so they're having fish on the beach, right? And it's a great time. And then Jesus pulls Peter off to the side and Peter says, hey, do you love me? And he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I love you. And that's it three times, right? So, so good. And then this happens. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, following them. Everybody knows the one who, you know, John, he's pretty arrogant. You know, Jesus, the one Jesus loved, right, John. So it's John who's this disciple. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? I love Jesus' response. Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Back off. You follow me. Don't pay attention to John. See me. Our focal point, folks, is Jesus. We got to focus on him. What is he calling you to? How is he directing you? It's the spiritual, not the physical. It's God's kingdom, not man's kingdom. It's the personal, not the corporate. In these crazy times, we are in the game. A lot of distractions, hands in our faces. We're getting bumped as we're going up for the shot. We're getting fouled on the arm. We got, we got crowds yelling and screaming at us and mocking us. We're in the game now. Put into practice what you've been preparing for. Focus on Jesus. Lord, I thank you uh, for this sweet church, Lord, where... Um, I can get up and boldly preach this message because I know that most of us are on board. And Lord, I thank you for the passion because it is true, it is real. This is the struggle that we're in in our world. Uh, Lord, thank you for this reminder this morning, the opportunity to refocus and to make sure we're focusing, that we would be checking our hearts and recognize the areas where we're slipping and we're beginning to lose focus and looking at the things we shouldn't. Lord, you use emotions to help to ignite that in us, to help us to recognize sometimes and, or other things that are going on. So, we, Lord, we, we want to be a part of building your kingdom. Lord, we want to uh, be a part of uh, what's happening in the spiritual realm as well as in the physical realm. And so we ask you to help us to do that. Lord, we also want to, uh, to get personal convictions from you as we follow the universal convictions that you are, that are clear about in Scripture. Help us to do that as a church and do it well. Uh, if we can do that in our community here, Lord, that will help us to continue to be reunited. And that is really different in our world right now, even unfortunately in many churches. We are not finding unity in the body because we're dividing over these things. We've lost our focus. So, Lord, help to build unity here in this church, that we would be an oasis in this world that we're in, uh, and that uh, people would see that and recognize that. Not that they have to come and worship here, but, Lord, that they would begin to take that with them and, and recognize that unity is something that can be achieved in this world, that through a focus on Jesus, we all can worship together in one accord. Romans, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And jumping down to verse 26, at that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made. In order that things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. In Jesus' name, amen. And God bless. Thank you, church. Have a great day.